Hey friends, thanks for listening to the Axiom Podcast. Um, We're a community centered around experiencing Jesus together and practicing his ways as a community. Uh, We like to say in Peoria as it is in heaven. Um, So this podcast is just space for discussion and exploring um, ideas and principles of the kingdom and also where we post uh, our sermons from Sunday gatherings. So um, please engage us online and uh, hope you enjoy this episode. Good morning, everybody. How are all of you doing? Blessed. Blessed. Awesome. I love it. Man, what a good morning. I've been really uncomfortable if I had gotten up here. I've been like, how are you guys doing? And I've been like, eh, eh. Like, oh, no. Uh, sorry I asked. I was actually, I used to work at Target years ago. Anybody ever worked at Target before? Yeah. Yeah, hey, somebody, one person. Okay, well, great. Um, it, it, was, uh, it was an experience. I remember, though, being radically like, disrupted when somebody honestly answered my question of, how are you doing today? Because I was like checking people out, be like, how are you doing today? And they go, oh, good. And I was like, perfect. Checking out, checking out, checking out. And at some point, I ask this, this gentleman, how are you doing today? And he goes, he just looks at me dead in the eyes and goes, awful. And I just... I just stopped what I was doing. I was like, I mean, Target times you too when you're ringing stuff up. So I'm getting like a horrible score right now. I'm just like, I don't know what to do. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that happened to you. I don't know. He's just looking at me and he's like, oh, blah, blah. anyway, that was really uncomfortable. So I'm glad that you guys didn't do that to me because that would have been awkward and I would have had to talk about it for like 15 minutes. Oh, whoops. Uh, <laughs> um, because believe it or not, that story that I just told will have nothing to do with the sermon today. So it was totally superfluous. Um, <laughs> we are entering into today uh, our next section on uh, our sermon series called Friend of, uh, The Friend of Sinners, right? And we're talking about Jesus and his relationship to us, sinners, at the end of the day. And today's sermon topic is going to be focusing on what I'm terming slavery to sin. So we're going to be talking about that a little bit uh, this morning. So I know, doesn't that sound upbeat? Uh, It's going to be a really upbeat sermon. Um, Hopefully there won't be too much fire and brimstone, though. Um, So this, this question of slavery to sin... I think it's important for us to address as we consider what our, our, our friendship to Jesus looks like. Because if He is the friend of sinners, right, we need to be able to recognize, I think, our sin and what our sin actually is. Right? Because if we desire that friendship with Jesus, we need to be able to lay bare all of it right, and stand before Jesus frankly, holding for, forward our sin. And being also willing in that space to accept that there are going to be ways in which we as sinners don't even recognize the layers of our sin, right? That Jesus, we want him to be friends with all of what we are, right? Including the parts that we might not even think are a problem. Several years ago... um, I like to get together sometimes with other pastors, and we, we talk and stuff like that. Sometimes I don't like getting together with other paps, pastors, frankly. It's kind of like awkward sometimes to go to pastor conferences. It kind of, it's just like, it's just weird. I don't know. I don't know. Everyone wants to like talk shop and tell you how great everything's going at their church. It's like, okay, I get it. I get it. Everything's great. Um, <laughs> it's fine. But I was, I was uh, talking with this one pastor friend of mine. We were on a Zoom call. And I kind of, he'd been in ministry for a long time, so I wanted to get a sense of, I really wanted to kind of get his input and see what his experience of being a pastor 
um, has been in the last several years. Because, you know, I mean, it's been kind of like weird times that we've been living in. Things have been shifting radically for all of us. So I'm talking to him, and I say, you know, I want to I wanna know what your experience is like being a pastor. And he goes, you know, it's funny. He's like, when I went to seminary, I was kind of the, the, the teachers at seminary kind of like taught me to have this assumption that I was going to be pastoring a church, and I would have a kind of authority in people's lives. Like, I'd be able to speak into their life, and they'd hear what I had to say and receive it and take it seriously. And he's like, well, my experience now of being a pastor, he said, is... I will tell somebody, I will have known somebody for years. I will have been their pastor for years, and I'll speak into their life in a particular way. And once I finish, finish kind of speaking into it, they'll say, hmm, well, that's an, that's an interesting perspective. And I was like, oh, wow, right? Uh, he's like, okay. Now, we weren't like, this is not me being passive-aggressive, by the way, up here towards you. I'm like, so, you know, you better take what I say seriously, all right? That's not what I'm doing up here, just FYI. <laughs> but I heard that, and I remember reacting to it because, in part, I began to realize, like, you know, the issue that he was facing was a relationship that people were having towards authority, authorities in their life, right? And the truth of the matter is we all have authorities in our life, and it's like, yeah, God is the ultimate authority, but we also have, like, bosses and stuff, right? Most of us do. If you work, you have a boss, right? If, you're, uh, if you were a kid, you know, you got parents. They're an authority in your life. If you get pulled over for speeding, all of a sudden, the police officer is an authority in your life, whether or not you like it all the time, right? You're going to keep your hands on the steering wheel. You're not going to do anything until he tells you to do it. And, you know, you're going to play ball. Some people get into arguments with cops, I guess, but that's probably not a good idea, just FYI. <laughs> right? We all have authorities um, in our life, but I've, realized, I've come to realize for myself, I don't like authority. Like, I just, I don't like it. I actually, I don't like the idea that there is a speed limit on Grand that's telling me what to do. I don't like that. I like to drive 60 miles an hour, uh, uh, allegedly. Uh, <laughs> uh, right? I don't like authorities in my life is something I've realized. I don't like whenever my boss tells me to do something I don't want to do, I'm not like, oh, that's great. They probably know what's best. In my head, I'm like, I know what's better. I'm sitting there thinking to myself how I know what's better to do in this situation. This idiot doesn't get it. Right? <laughs> And I don't know, I don't know this for certain, but my sense is that this is something to do with my Americanness. This idea of thinking that I am the ultimate authority in my life. I make the decisions and everyone else is just kind of offering input, right? I am an American. I have rights, Dagnabbit. You need to take it seriously. You need to come to me and see if it's okay with me. It's shocking to consider that I have kind of like, when I was speaking to my pastor friend, it became shocking to, for me to consider that I've disciplined my heart and mind to respond to authority in that way. That when authority comes to me, authority, I'm measuring it in my mind. Is this worthy of me? Do I think it's good enough? 
I think I am above it all. That I, I am the one informed. These idiots, they don't actually understand what's going on. I'm informed. I know how things are. Everyone must make their case before me, the judge. Now, the danger, of course, is not just how I relate to people, but if that is my posture in general towards authority, there is a possibility that I might be disciplining my heart and mind unintentionally to take the same posture towards my ultimate authority, which is Jesus. I might be so bound to my own opinions, to my own thoughts, my own ideas, that I don't actually consider allowing Jesus' real input. The moment I can't do that, though, the moment that I can't actually receive Jesus' input into my life, into my sin, is the moment that I have actually allowed myself, I think, to become a slave to that sin. It's just how, because the truth of the matter is, I am not actually my own authority. I did not come up with my own thoughts, my own ideas, right? Sensory input throughout the course of my life has conditioned me to think certain ways. The culture and environment that I grow up in has educated me in my posture towards behavior, right? Towards my heart. There's a joke in the show called The Simpsons where Reverend Lovejoy, the pastor of the town of Springfield, he is asked by one of his parishioners about a new legislation that has just passed regarding gambling in the city. They've just legalized gambling in the city of Springfield. And his parishioner, Ned Flanders, is in a panic, and he goes up to Reverend Lovejoy, well, what do you think about this, Reverend? And the Reverend stands up and says, once the government says it's okay, it's no longer immoral. Right? Your culture is not the same thing. Your culture and its desires are not the same thing as Jesus and Jesus' desires. So if your heart has been shaped by the environment that you've grown up in, we have to be able to receive Jesus' input, right? To disseminate what is of God and what is maybe not. Jesus, yes, is a friend to sinners. But as Gavin said in previous, on a previous occasion, many of us tend to act like our sin don't stink. As sinners oblivious to the depth and the nature of our sin, we become blind to the nature of our friendship with Jesus because we've actually given ourselves over to something other than Him. The thing in us that we don't think needs to be fixed or healed. Because the idea of you comes to you, that you come to your own conclusions is, of course, a lie, as I've said. It's just that you have been so effectively manipulated and coerced by other sources that you have no ability to see how anymore. Jesus, as we will read, his way is the only actual way to freedom. And it's not your opinion 
of what Jesus has to say. Right? It is Jesus is the authority, not you in that moment. So today we're going to hang out a little bit here in John 8, because I think there's a, there's a section of text here that illustrates this really well. Because Jesus is confronted with some folks who they think because of who they are, they know how things are supposed to be. And so they are measuring the authority of Jesus against what they know to be true. We begin, we begin in verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So we see him here with a community of folks. The author John refers to them as the Jews. For those of you who don't know, the Jewish people were seen to be the chosen people. They were chosen by God, the creator of the universe, to be set apart as a special group of people. They were given the, the, the laws and the commandments by God. They were led out of the desert of wandering to establish a kingdom by God. They knew what God wanted from them. And what's interesting here is that these are Jews who had believed in Jesus. So he's having a conversation with folks who have been with him, and they had believed him. But there's something about that had, right? If we go back to the text, that had believed in him. Something's happened. They had been on the same page with Jesus, and now they are not. Verse 33, we we go on. They, that is the Jews, answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set, set free? And here's the tension. They don't think their sin stinks. Jesus tells them, that the truth will set you free. But they say, we are Abraham's descendants. What does that mean, to be Abraham's descendants? Abraham was a man who had been approached by God years and years before, thousands of years before, and had made a special covenant with God, a special connection, relationship with God. God had said, I'm going to use you, Abraham, to bless the world. Abraham was a special figure. And to be a descendant of Abraham was to acknowledge the fact that you were one of his chosen descendants. Because it was through Abraham's children that the world would be blessed. To be a a Jew was to be a descendant of Abraham. Right? You had received this special covenant with God. 
They had never been slaves to anyone, they said. So how can we be set free? They're reasonably then surprised when Jesus is telling them that they need the truth still, that they still need to be set free. Because the descendants of Abraham, they're chosen people. We are free. We might be thinking to ourselves right now as we sit here, well, I'm a Christian, Pastor Eric. I already know the truth. I'm already free. They think that they already know. And so they have an inability to hear the words of Jesus as he stands right before him, or right before them. Jesus replies, Very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Bad news, we all sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son, son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. This is a powerful section. And there's a lot happening here. He has said that he has come to set people free. Yes, we're all slaves to sin. We're all bound by it, he says. We're all missing the mark with God. But who he, the Son, Jesus, sets free, then you will be free indeed. Yet if you are not freed, he's saying, through me, through your friend Jesus, then you are going to continue to be a slave to your sin. Yet, he says, you are now looking to kill me. These folks were so disconnected now from Jesus. They had believed him, and now they were so at odds with him that they were seeking to actually kill him. He knows that you're the descendants of Abraham, yet you're trying to kill me because you have no room for my word. What matters here, I think, is that phrase, not having room for Jesus' word. There is no room. How can he then be permitted to heal? Not just the broken parts that you concede that you have, but the sin that you don't think that you're a slave to. The folks standing there before Jesus said, We're, we already know. We are the descendants of Abraham. We don't need to be freed. We're not a slave to anybody or anything. And yet Jesus is saying that is not the case. You need me in my word. And isn't that the hardest thing? It's not believing rightly. It's having room in your life, in your, in your mind, in your heart for Jesus' words. Not your thoughts about his words, your very smart thoughts, your very spiritual thoughts. We need room for Him, pure and simple. Jesus is Lord. Before your thoughts about Him, before your thoughts about what the truth is, before what your thoughts about what right is, what wrong is, He is Lord before you and your narrow little kingdom. 
And if we're not coming to Jesus regularly, if He is not the one who's actually qualifying truth in your life, then we're still bound in slavery to the things we actually desire to be freed of. Are we in prayer? Are we talking with Jesus? Are we reading His words in Scripture? Are we doing that regularly? And are we putting our opinions before those words and subjecting them, subjecting them to Jesus? Brothers and sisters, He is our friend. He loves us so much. And He wants you to be free. He wants to free you as you sit here today. The things that you want to hand over and the things that you don't. He wants you to be freed from those things. But you need to, you need to come to Him. All of it needs to be laid before Him. We're about to enter into a time now we call communion. It is the time where we come to the table of the Lord Jesus Christ and we say yes to what He has offered us. The freedom and the friendship that He's offered us. We do this not alone. We do this together because we all need a friend in Jesus. And as we approach and we take the cracker, dip it in the juice, we are affirming together that we are with, we are with Jesus, that our heart and desire is to be transformed by Him. If that's where you are sitting here today, I want to invite you to the table. If you're uncertain about some of the things I've said today, and you're wrestling with the tension of it, I want to invite you to the table. Jesus isn't scared. He isn't scared of your sin. And he's not scared of your questions. He's not scared of any of it. I have to warn you. He's after all of you. Not just the part that you feel like handing over. That part about yourself that you don't like. That's not all he wants. He wants the part of you that you're pretty comfortable with. The thing that makes you the equivalent of Abraham's descendants. The high thing that you hold up in your life says, well, I'm this. He wants that too. So won't you come with me to the table today? Come together with folks that you came with or maybe some folks that you just met for the first time today. Come up the aisle, grab a cracker, dip it in the juice or the wine, and huddle up, pray with some folks, and take it. Join me at the table, won't you?